Hello and welcome to Set Podcast Just Done, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. I go second. And also joining us is the mouthy Captain Corey. Actually. Hi, Corey. Hi. Hey, did you know that uh, my papers came in finally? Oh, your papers? What papers? Oh, Oh, you, I'm surprised you didn't hear it. They, so they want me to be Admiral. Oh, that's great, Corey. I know you deserve it. Wow, skipping skipping Commander and going straight to Admiral, huh? I think Commander is a Vulcan and uh, a Romulan <laughs> rank. So yes, I am because I'm a patriotic. No, Commander's below Captain. Cisco uh, started as a Commander in DS9, and then he made his way up to Captain partway through. Oh, okay, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to question your uh, meteoric rise there. No, that's okay. That's why you're uh, still down there in that rank. Busted back down for insubordination. (laughs) I have to sit through a a simulation, or I have to do a simulation, and uh, apparently I just have to have the courage and the ability to make sure that one of you dies in that simulation. Oh man, who are you going to choose? Well, I just have to send well, now one. Now I of... regret everything. I just have to send one of you into the Jeffries tube to fix something, and it's too hot in there, and I have to show that I'm okay with letting one of you go. Well, actually, I'm impervious to heat, so I wouldn't die in that circumstance. Oh, perfect! I'll send you. No, you should send Emily because the <laughs> test is you have to kill someone. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. It's a good day to die. All right. Well, congrats, Corey. Congrats. Hey, thanks. All right, so uh, this week's episode is Daggers of the Mind. I keep I, I don't know if it's Dagger of the Mind or Daggers of the Mind. I was actually always confused about that. But anyway, what happens in this episode is a deranged escapee makes his way onto the Enterprise from a penal colony, prompting Kirk and Dr. Helen Noel to investigate. They find out that Dr. Adams is brainwashing prisoners as he turns his neural neutralizer on Kirk. What did you guys think of this episode? Corey? Oh, no, I had a different idea for how we could do this. I thought I'm going to count down to one, and then at the same time, we all say a number between one and five, with one being the lowest and five being the highest. Are you guys ready? No, that's it, that's like audio chaos, but I guess we could <laughs> Okay, ready? Three, two, one, four. Two. Three. Oh, I like this episode. <laughs> I thought it was I, cool. I love I love doing this podcast with you guys because we all have different opinions on it. Like one person usually likes an episode and then another person like doesn't like it as much. But I was kind of like half and half on this this yeah. episode. Same. What did you like about this episode, Core? Well, I thought that it was different. Like you didn't have a lot of psychic things going on, and you didn't have mm-hmm. uh, like something wrong on the ship that needed to be fixed. Where someone just walks around the corridors all episode and like scares people. I I, I thought I, I I like any episode where we're gonna go to a, a location like a planet and there's a mystery there to solve. I think that that's that's always entertaining. And I learned the new word penology. <laughs> <laughs> They really kind of got through that intruder wandering through the Enterprise section really quick. They, they yeah. got that taken care of. Yeah. Emily, what, what did you think about this episode? I, I agreed with Corey. I love that they went to another location and it had this sort of like all is not as it seemed because of the B-plot. 
Like, I thought that that played off each other well, but then it it was, like, an interesting beginning, and then it kind of fell apart, and there were, like, 500 plots in the middle again. It just, especially after the high note of Miri, this felt like kind Mm -hmm. of a descent into chaos a little bit. Yeah, the story definitely, like, frayed into kind of nothing at the end. Yeah. It just kind of ended with a whimper. Like, they're still trying to fit too much into one plot. Yeah, there's some serious issues with this episode, but, like, I thought that it was fun right like the characters were fun and there were some pretty cool performances yeah there were definitely some high points in this episode so should we talk about like the opening scene because there's a couple of things that i really liked when when this criminal boards the ship yeah go for it Corey. it's a Uh, man in a box it's a man in a box so the the (laughs) enterprise is just on a very routine mission when they're not doing colonoscopies they are delivering medical equipment to uh penal colonies (laughs) We first of all find out that Kirk is a huge fanboy of the uh, Dr. Tristan Adams, the person that's running this penal colony, because apparently Tristan mm-hmm. Adams has made a bunch of pr- progressive ideas about the criminal justice system in the 23rd century. He, uh, he has a hard-on for him, if you will. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's just like, he's just gushing for him. That sounds gross. Oh my god, Dr. Adams? I can't believe I'm talking to Dr. Adams It's right such a weird thing for Kirk to do because he's such a, like, cowboy, rough and ready guy. And then to be like, ooh, a doctor, I'm starstruck. They should have given Bones that plot. Criminal justice reform. Oh. Yeah, he's, like, real progressive. <laughs> we'll talk about Bones a little bit later. But I just want to say, too, that the beginning sequence is them trying to transport down supplies to the colony. And the guy's like, oh, something's wrong. And Kirk's like, uh, did you forget they have a security screen up? And the transporter guy's just like, oh, what a bonehead. I guess I'll, you know, brush up on my penal colony procedures But I just want to say O'Brien would never have made that mistake. He would have known how to transport through that or or that procedure. I guess that's true. But I did appreciate the way that they put a plot line into dialogue like that instead of playing it heavier. Oh, Oh, yeah. No, it was for sure they were just setting it up. Emily, I have that same exact note. It was like show, don't tell. Instead of being like, Captain's Log, we're dropping this shit off here. They just like did it through the dialogue. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say with the equipment that they were sending down to Dr. Adams, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was really kind of, I, I thought it was funny. There, so the it's like a shipping label on the equipment and it says, uh, Dr. Tristan Adams for your eyes only. Except if you look at it where the, the, the doctor, like the DR period, that was p- pasted onto the shipping label separately from Tristan Adams in like a little (laughs) square that was cut out and pasted on there. And I just imagined they were like, to Tristan Adams. And they're like, he's a doctor. Oh, well, you can't print these things off again. Let's just go ahead and put this little square next to it. I just thought it was kind of (laughs) cute. Wow, good eye, Corey. That's that's funny. (laughs) Uh, Also, too, you know, they get that shipment from the colony. One, I don't, what were they supposed to be transporting in in the first place? But man, security sucks in the future, not only in the penal colony, but on the uh, the Enterprise. I think what they need to do, because what happens is, you know, there's a guy who sneaks on to this crate. And while the transporter guy operator isn't looking, he sneaks out. <laughs> it and, was really funny. <laughs> yeah. And this escaped convict or whatever, he karate chops the guy and then grabs his weapon and, and I guess strips him. Because he steals his uniform. But they need, like, a security officer in the transporter room just to watch 
like everything that's happening there to prevent people from sneaking on and evil clones from wrecking havoc on the on the ship. I believe you mean fabulous evil clones. <laughs> I mean, but isn't that's the whole point? I I feel like maybe that's the point of Kirk being so into Doctor Adams is because. He's so successful that we don't need this anymore. We don't mm. need security. We don't need keys because everything just is so good and peaceful. Yeah, except every fucking week something <laughs> right. is like set loose on the Enterprise. You know, it's like a psychic kid or like a, you know, salt thirsty monster. Everybody so, I getting mean, drunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they need to up security. Everything's need- great in the future, except for these planets that we've dedicated to be penal <laughs> colonies. But I did think there was a part that was really, I loved Spock drops some real truths when they're talking about Dr. Adams. And he says that they glorify organizers violence, but imprison people who do it privately. And I was like, yeah, defund the police, man. <laughs> Great. You tell him, Spock. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a nice little uh, philosophical moment about organized violence. It's pretty cool. I don't know if this is what they were going for, but I love the Spock sass. Spock is that bitch. He is, and he just always has the upper hand. He's always getting his zingers in there, and he's just running circles around bones. This is what know, I've been saying all along: is that. Spock is not a cold, emotional person. Instead, he is the sassiest, bitchiest one there who's just like hair tossing all over the ship. He said also where there is no emotion, there is no motive for violence. And I thought that that was because like from from his point of view, he's just staring at this ship of humans because he's the only non-human on the ship. So he I mean, I think the sass comes from like in the, in the Star Trek world, Vulcans, especially at this time and earlier than this, are like the... The, the adults holding the humans hands a little bit and trying to get them like space ready and so for him he's just like a liaison for the vulcans and he's just like oh my god these humans uh so i think he he feels like he's probably better than them you know yeah that does mm-hmm. that does make sense one of my notes says kirk and bones fighting and then spock mom intervenes <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to get back to when um so his name is simon van gelder van gelder He's the one in the box. He's escaping from this penal colony because, as we'll find out later in the episode, he is being abused, brainwashed. Scientific experiments are being put on him. But the most important part or thing I wanted to ask about was, why was he so sweaty? Because he was in a box, right? Yeah. Boxes are hot. He was covered in glam. Sweat. It was crazy. It's it's the crazy sweats. Yeah. That's, that, that's just a side effect of the, the neural neurorizer. Neuro, ah. I said it right the first time, but the brainwashing machine, it's just a side effect of that. It's it's flop sweat. I like that his name is Gelder, which growing up in the sticks, we all know what Gelding is, right? No. No? Is it like spinning brodies? No. Gelding is a castration. Oh. So he's been brain castrated. He's been brain... This whole episode is chock full of heavy-handed names, and I hated it and loved it in equal measure. Oh, like when we get to uh, Dr. Noel, that's Christmas in French, and she and Kirk met at a Christmas party. I I noticed that the second time. And there's a a lady down on the prison cult called Leith, and that's the uh, river in the Greek underworld that you drink of and you forget all your mortal life. Oh, cool. I didn't catch that. 
Did you catch Tantalus? No, what was that? Tantalus is also from Greek mythology. It was... That was the name of the planet, right? Yeah, the penal colony. He was... I don't remember what he did, but the gods punished him in the afterworld, and he was, like, chest high in water, and there were fruit trees above him, and he was starving, but... Starving and really thirsty, but, like, every time he reached up to get fruit, it would move just out of reach, and every time he reached down to drink, it would just recede. And that's where the word tantalizing comes from. Oh, cool. I've never heard of that myth. Yeah. It's it's not a myth, Clint. Okay. <laughs> it's in the underworld. This is religion. Let me um just really kind of set up what the episode was. So this guy escapes from the crate. He gets He's walking around. He's judo chopping like Austin Power style, just one-shotting people all over. <laughs> he finally gets to the bridge. But uh, before he gets to the bridge, they say over the intercom, uh, like, there's a crazy man from the penal colony on, on the loose. Like, everyone watch out for him. He's in his... Those fabulous engineering <laughs> And in, he's in his early 40s. And I wrote down here, yeah, maybe early 140s. Because <laughs> he has really gray hair and he looks super old. But apparently the actor uh, the actor is Morgan Woodward. And apparently he was 40 years old uh, during the oh, recording of this. <laughs> The only other role that Morgan Woodward was in that you guys might know of was he was the man with no eyes in Cool Hand Luke, like the overseer who's over always like whipping. Oh yeah, him. what we got here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh, interesting. So anyway, he uh, he gets onto the bridge and then he has a gun and Kirk is he's trying to like ask for amnesty and then they attack him and then they tie him down to a hospital bed and there we are. I love McCoy's medical boner. Where he's just like, oh man, I just gotta study this guy. I want to crack open that noggin and see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's, they don't call me bones. He really for is nothing. into it. Also, is he like a fucking soothsayer? Because he's like, oh, he says crazy stuff, but it has the ring of truth. And then when they're talking to Doctor Adams later, you know, McCoy is like, I don't. He doesn't have that ring of truth to it. There's like something going on here. And it's just like, okay, I'm sorry, Mr. Psychic. Yeah, Bones is a character that I think is maybe not fleshed out all the way. Like, he seems to be very, like, all of his dialogue is like, I'm a man of science. But then, like, literally everything he does is like, well, I just went with my gut. I think he's supposed to be that kind of, like, old country doctor archetype. Okay. And then after, like, 60 years, it seems even more old-fashioned. Because he doesn't, he always seems kind of to be, like, the most narrow-minded one. The one who's kind of like behind the times the most, you know, he's like, a cage is a cage, mm-hmm. Jim. And Kirk had to defend, like, no, we should treat prisoners right and, like, put them in humane circumstances and, and try and heal them instead of just throw them in jail. So I really like that humanitarian, like, we should treat prisoners as people, not not animals. I mean, not to get to, I feel like I, I often do this, but yeah, in the 60s, and into the 70s was when there was a lot of reform for asylums for mentally ill people because they were really, really horrifying, scary things. Um, and there were still like lobotomies being performed in the 60s and stuff. And so the 60s and 70s saw the dismantling of those to be more like community focused outpatient care. Not prison reform, but I, I saw that align more of that. And then, of course, Ronald Reagan came and gutted all the programs. And so now there's nothing to help mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was thinking about that a lot. This didn't really mirror prison reform so much, but it did mirror a lot of mental health stuff that was going on in the hot topic of the day. I talk like I was there. I'm 
not that old. I think you were there. <laughs> it's true. I am 54. Well, no, that would mean I was born then. I, I'm 74. Yeah, I too felt like Dr. Adams, the the villain in this, he was really tap dancing. Or I don't know. Maybe he was just really confident that he could get away with this. I don't know what his his plan was to like get away with everything because they're like oh yeah got in an accident and to that to that effect i feel like back in the 60s people may have dismissed people with mental illnesses more so it was just natural that like oh this guy's crazy just send him off to another yeah you know another hospital or another rehab place and uh he's not gonna blow my cover this is why i think this episode was kind of disappointing because it was a really interesting setup and with Miri, we got, like, a, an antagonist where they had real motives and it made sense. And we saw that. Like, they had motivations. And here, yeah, what is his motivation for doing this? Like, we never really get any sort of answer. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this, too, because, that, like, there is no plan in place. There is no monologue at the end where he's like, oh, Captain Cook, why couldn't you just mind your own business he is extremely ag- it would have been great if he was like i'm helping them they're happier like i'm i'm healing their pain or something and that would have been like some genuine clump yeah he's just kind of like straight up yeah he i mean the other thing too is like i wrote this in all caps and with many exclamation marks because i was obviously super excited like as soon as they beam down there i'm cult robe everybody's wearing cult clothing i thought oh this guy's gonna be like a megalomaniac but he wasn't even that it was just cardboard evil i thought he had a lot of just like unearned confidence he's really just like almost taunting kirk the whole time it's like daring him to find out my evil plan i just thought he like he was just like oh yeah come on down you know see whatever you want and i'm just like man you're gonna get caught and he he just seemed to like really be confident in himself and it was not earned and it didn't make sense there there really was like because his entire thing is that he can use this device to take people that are criminally insane or just have no chance of reform and he straps them to a chair and he just blasts them with like whatever radiation and they become better what he's doing is he is replacing their old thoughts with new thoughts so i guess in the right hands this could actually not be a bad thing because like he could just turn it on because there's like there's like power settings one is like a small suggestion and 10 is like you're just deleting their mind and replacing whatever you want so i guess like i can see why this would be like a useful thing if like you're on a two and you're just like hey the things you did in the past you can change right like i'm gonna make a suggestion that you have the ability to reform but what he was doing is he was like blasting things up to like a 10 and he was just erasing people's minds and just like controlling them and like it didn't make any sense at all there's no motivation for him to do that and then he was trying to do it to kirk why was he trying to do it to kirk he could have just gotten away with everything but he decided to be like just evil just for the sake of being evil i don't know you didn't we never knew his motivation mm-hmm. yeah exactly there's no point where it's like yeah i'm help- just as emily said he's not like i'm helping these people or they're they you know they're violent criminals they deserve to have their brains erased he's just like let me twirl my mustache and and make you bark like a dog like you noticed there were some times where it seemed like he was like oh i'm doing this out of goodness and other times where it seemed like evil it was this is where I feel like, again, this idea of they have too many plots. They can't decide if they want him to be a bad guy or, like, a thought-provoking doctor who's at odds with everything. They just don't... They need to get better at making decisions like that. But, you know, he mm. he did give us one good thing. What's that? 
And that is the cheesiest cheers ever. The toast that he said made me laugh really hard. And then I've used it like three times with my boyfriend, Clint's friend. It's, may we never find space so vast and hearts so cold that we cannot fill them with warmth and love. Cheers. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, and he says that with a patch of a dove, a hand, and a sun sewed Uh onto his robe. And it's just like something a, like a 10th grader would make in home ec class. It looks really bad. I felt, I felt like, I felt like that Whoopi Goldberg (laughs) gif from ghost where she just goes molly you in danger girl like it's a cult it's a cult (laughs) i was right in a way (laughs) i i noticed that quote and i thought yeah it was a good piece of fortune saddling but that was another example of him being like really just arrogant and just like rubbing it in kirk's face that he's brainwashing people and he's just like sitting there he's like i'm so clever i'm gonna layer all my speech with with double meanings you know what he is he's the android doctor character he's the exact same character Mm -hmm. as that episode it's the same doctor this arrogant smarmy i know what's best and i think it's good but i'm gonna keep it secret like it's evil but at least that guy actually had a plan yeah i felt like that guy had an understandable motivation where he's like i'm gonna improve humanity by turning everyone into android i mean that's still a crazy thing to do but at least it's like some sort of motivation where this guy is just like i like brain fucking people well let's get to um when they actually go down to the planet because kirk needs to go down and do some investigation because mccoy feels like that there's might be some truth to what dr gelder is saying that uh, he used to be a staff member down there, and now he's been brainwashed, and he's the the the, the Doctor Adams is doing some bad stuff down there. So Kirk's going to go down and investigate to make McCoy happy, but he's not going to go down by himself. Oh my mm, yes. god! Let's introduce Doctor Helen Noel, and I hope this isn't sexist, but I hated this chick. Oh, I hated her too. I was just what it's. First of all, it's a terrible stand-in for our favorite Janice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I hope this isn't sexist, but uh, you could see her butt cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> you could see her butt cheeks. So let's let's talk about the Janice thing real quick. Okay, first of all, I love Janice. She was sassy. She was that like zesty waitress, and they eliminated our our smart sassy talk back to the captain for just like butt cheeks on a stick. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why why did you have to be like? Here's this brand new doctor character. Why didn't you just keep our beloved? So apparently they were going to have the the actor who plays Nurse Janice be in this episode as Kirk's love interest. But what I read, and I didn't read too many things to verify this, but apparently this was kind of the beginning of the end with uh, her relationship with the producers of the show. Oh, boo. Because, yeah, so let me just read this. The part of Helen Noel was originally written for... Uh, Janice Rand. However, the producers wanted to avoid showing Kirk becoming involved with her, and Grace Lee Whitney uh, was already on the verge of leaving, leaving the show due to personal problems on set. Whitney had been sexually assaulted by one of the show's executives at a rap party. Oh, she geez. believes she was pushed out for speaking up in protest of this. Um, so that oh might be one God. reason why they didn't have her be in this role. Boo the 60s. She's definitely like one of my favorite characters in this early part of the show Mm -hmm. and yes dr helen noel is just a really poor substitute for her i feel like her only quality is she's like thirsty for kirk and bad at her job 
I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to have to disagree with you about this because the amount of awkwardness that they and, and just like how mansplainy and shitty they are to her the entire time. Like oh you can't help but because like like the second we meet her because McCoy's like, oh, I have a perfect assistant to come help you. She has experience with penology. She's on the <laughs> transport pad. Kirk walks into the transport room to like get ready to go, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And there's they just like stare at each other. He's captain of the ship. He has no decorum at all. Uh-huh. He gets onto the transport pad. He like is so awkward around her, and we find out that they met at a Christmas party last year, which I think is yeah. hilarious that they have Christmas parties on the Enterprise in the future. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, w- I was reading that this is the only mention of Christmas in Star Trek until Generations in 94 or whatever, because there's a scene <laughs> oh, wow. where Picard goes to like a, his Christmas past because he's in the Nexus or whatever. But there's like this super pregnant, hostile awkwardness that is filling the transporter pad. And then Kirk like walks back over to Spock and he's like, if she's not the best assistant I've ever had, then like, you know, tell McCoy that he needs to do a better job or whatever. So he's like already super hostile to her because they had a fling at a Christmas party. And it only gets worse from there. I mean, they only, like, it seemed like they only flirted too. Like they didn't like hook up or anything like that. So it's weird that he's so hostile. And then did you notice that he was like staring at her when they were transporting? It's so weird. He's like super hostile. He'll be like, so doctor, what do you think of his operation here? And she's like, I think your boner is really great, Kirk. Why didn't you call me? (laughs) Like, it's so weird. And then anytime she starts to be like, well, you know, give him my research. They're like, please let the men speak. There was one time where she was trying to make a point and Dr. Adams just like cuts her off. Is like exactly what I was saying. And then he just walks off. And it's like, whoa, rude much, Dr. Adams? Like, that was an asshole move. It was really weird. Really awkward. Just strange. And I just want to say, when we cut off Emily, it's not because we're sexist. It's just because we're awkward and don't know how to record a podcast without tripping over each other. So I just wanted to clear that up. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. No, that's <laughs> fine. I think I cut you guys off as anyway, <laughs> equal no, amount. But yeah, I don't know, though, because I think everything she says is just dumb and stupid. She's like weirdly smug and dismissive about everything. We're not talking about Emily anymore. <laughs> oh, sorry. OK, well, yeah. Oh, anyway, on wow. on this on wow. this woman. Yeah, I'm she just, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't seem to be like very open minded. She seems to have her mind made up already. And then doesn't really, like, take in any new information. Kirk starts getting skeptical as soon as they land, even though this is, like, his hero. Mm -hmm. But then she is, like, everything he says, she's like, yeah, that's 100% correct. That's really great. I'm like, this is, again, where I'm like, who, you've switched the plot again. I like, too, when we actually, like, see the the neural, neurorizer. I'm I'm never going to be able to say that right. That, like, they come in on it, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is where he hurt himself. But then they have someone in it. You, Someone just, like, gave themselves brain damage on this device, and now you're still putting prisoners back in it? That doesn't seem to be, like, good protocol. As you said, the OSHA practices in the future are just horrifying. And then, and then Dr. Adams is basically rubbing it, like, in Kirk's face that he's torturing these people. And then they step away... And then the brainwashed monkey who's, you know, on the controls just continues to, like, torture this guy and brainwash him. And I'm just like, wow, you have some big kahunas. Well, and again, this is where if they had just clarified the plot, they could have been like, we only put it on setting one or two because then it's just essentially guided meditation. And the higher levels are disabled. And then later you learn how 
you find out that Dr. Adams has secretly been turning it up or something. Like, but they don't even yeah. have anything that organized. Like, it's not even coherent what exactly is going on and what shouldn't be going on. See, I think that the this. Uh, I think that the central conflict of the episode should have been like, I know you're doing this and you seem to be okay with it, but this is not how we should treat criminals. But it never even got there. There's never that discussion. It's another one of those like nebulous sci-fi concepts, like Charlie X's psychic powers, where like it's a thing, but we don't really know like what it does or the limitations or that. It kind of seems to like do several things. So it's not really that fully explained. Uh, It's like we need... We need a different word than MacGuffin because MacGuffin is like the thing that moves the plot along. This isn't quite a MacGuffin because it's not organized enough to have a coherent plot. It's like a pomegranate where you think it's a MacGuffin, but then it just opens up and there's like a thousand different plots that never get resolved. Well, I think that brings us to, I don't know, the Vulcan mind meld. I just, I just wrote in big letters, mind meld. I think we were all excited to see the first appearance <laughs> of the, the Vulcan mind meld. Corey, I don't know why, but I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on this. So why don't you um, take us through it? Okay. Uh, the first Vulcan mind meld that we ever see in Star Trek was in this episode. I wanted to read this part. This is kind of interesting. So the final shooting draft of this script had Spock placing his hands on Van Gelder's abdomen while performing the mind meld. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that was, uh, according to the making of Star Trek, the mind meld was developed as an alternative to the script's use of hypnosis. Um, they did not uh... want to, they didn't want to depict hypno- hypnosis as a medical technique. Um, and they didn't want to make like Spock just like a hypnotizer to like solve all of their plot issues they might have in the future. Um, and... They did not want to risk accidentally hypnotizing viewers at home. (laughs) That's hilarious. I like to, they establish the fact that it's not hypnosis by him saying, this is not hypnosis. (laughs) Viewers at home, fear not. Your children are safe. You will not be hypnotized. This is telling us about your brainwashed memories. I thought this was though very sensual. Oh, I, I, it was a very intimate scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's be, it just goes along with the penology theme. Yeah, and then and then they start they both start talking as as a we, which I thought was a, a really cute moment. It was mm-hmm. this is a great meet cute, I think. <laughs> Spock will finally understand what it means to love. So like, just, the, the, it's like Spock's face is right next to uh, Doctor Gelder's face, and he's just like caressing it while he's like walking around him and like whispering in his ear. And when I see a scene like this, I just think like, how many takes did they have to do to get this right? Because even on like a fairly simple scene, they'll they'll have to do like multiple takes for it. It was just like everyone's sweaty super close quarters i wouldn't like you know this dude just like touching my face all over and it's a fairly long scene it goes on for a couple of minutes but this is where we get all the plot points out that dr adams was doing shady stuff kirk Mm -hmm. should absolutely not spend the night down there because (laughs) dr adams will try and like do something to kirk Uh, but like how would dr adams know that kirk was going to spend the night as far as dr adams knew kirk was going to go down there do an investigation and then come back up again so again i still don't understand what adam's plan was he overheard it or Adams? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That was a weird decision. I'm like, why are you even staying on the planet? Because it takes like 10 seconds to beam up to your ship. So I don't know why you can't just beam up and then come back down the next morning. Yeah, also, uh, Adams doesn't like experiment on Kirk. Kirk and Noel are like, hee hee, let's do this. And yeah. then Adams comes in and ratchets it up. Like, again, which is, what is Adams' plan? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just before we move on from the mind meld, I just want to say, I would, I want to like create a track of just Spock giving like mind melding directions. You know, it's like we are now one. Calm your mind. Like I just want to fall asleep to that every night, <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. With with the mind melt though, I did want to bring up just the idea of um, magic in space or magic in Star Trek uh, because we don't really see magic too often, but when it when it's there, it serves a pretty important function. And like the interesting thing about magic in science fiction is that you could have made that a piece of technology, right? Like you, we could have it where Vulcans just have a piece of equipment that they hold that can like access that. neural pathways or whatever, but they decided to do more like space magic. Like the cloaking... The cloaking device in TNG, it's the Vulcans are the only ones that have it. No, the Romulans. Oh, the Romulans. My bad. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you could have it be a dragon that just knows a spell that turns itself invisible, but they they resolve that fantastical thing through technology. But with something like the Vulcan Mind Meld, like, it's basically like magic, right? It's like Mm. a spell that Spock can cast. And I was just, I was going to ask you guys, because I don't watch too much other Star Trek, do... Is there a, a magic, a, we'll call them a mage or a, a space wizard on board uh, DS9 and Voyager because Picard has Troy as his space wizard to like mm-hmm. take care of non-magic, non, non-technology based things. And then, you know, there's Spock to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. On, on DS9, there's Odo, who's a changeling. There we go. But... Yeah, he he kind of like can change shapes and stuff, and and actually that's a really good analogy because there's like a whole plot where he like loses his abilities and then gets them back. Mm. Yeah, I think on Enterprise, I think this the space mage is uh, to Paul. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I mean, I think it's too well. There's uh, what's her name? The girl with the like bob haircut in Voyager. I've only seen the dinosaur episode of Voyager. Kess. It's I haven't seen any. Um, but she has telepathic powers, and she gets telepathy. And then also Tuvok, he's he's a Vulcan, so he, he does a lot of mind-meldy stuff on that as well. Well, actually, in DS9, Cisco is kind of a space mage because he gets visions from the whatever, the wormhole aliens. What do they call them? The, the prophets. The prophets, yeah. yeah. No, he's, a, he's the space messiah, basically. <laughs> That's right. Black Jesus. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that they like in the in this world that they have invented with a bunch of like technology that's not available to the contemporary viewer that they still have like a, a plot issue that needs to be solved with space magic and I'm, I'm curious how much how many episodes because like data is like the perfect example of technology solving all of people's problems mm-hmm. um, like data is usually the answer unless he's malfunctioning to basically any issue that the enterprise is having. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not magic because it's technology based. It, it's interesting because, like, when you were saying that, I I think it's it's interesting that we haven't encountered a lot of truly alien life forms when we have. They've been antagonists in TOS, but like in uh, TNG, they they encounter aliens and different races and different types of peoples all the time. But they very rarely have different or special abilities like they're essentially humanoids that sometimes have mild psychic or different brain abilities or whatever mm-hmm. but that's yeah. kind of interesting to me that the show never evolved here's an alien that has super strength compared to us i mean i guess klingons are stronger in vulcans um, too and vulcans but yeah. but it's interesting to me that like there isn't 
more special abilities, really. So I would submit then, Emily, that if the early writers of this show had never made Spock do this, what happened in this episode, then space magic wouldn't exist. But he opened up the door for like for just normal people of this particular race to do this ability, right? Like yeah. Vulcans can mind melt. So I'm just wondering, like, if he hadn't done this and they hadn't put him in that direction, would would magic when it happens be like very rare and crazy? You know, like Charlie yeah. X. It's like a, it's like an anomaly. Well, I want to say they they do try and root it in science, where he's like, I'm just gonna change your blood pressure. I forget the other thing he was talking about, but he made it seem like he was just like kind of messing with his his physiology in his brain to be able to to connect with him in a psychic manner. They don't even bring up telepathy or anything like that. They kind of make it seem like a a physiological joining of the minds. It's a lot of, lot of homoerotic things happening in this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about a heteroerotic scene. And that is when Kirk is in the, the brainwashing machine. Oh, just Clint, can, can we set up why they do that? So they're like in the it's nighttime. Kirk goes and goes to Dr. Noel's room and he's like, I don't like what's going on around here. You're going to come with me to this neurotransmitter thing so we can investigate this. Just the two of us. And she's like, OK. And then they go into that room. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All and then so they're doing the testing around where she like puts him under for a second. And he's like, OK, do it any time. She's like, oh, I just did it. And it's like, OK, give me a simple command. And she's like, you're hungry. And then the next one is like, okay, give me something unusual. And then she goes on full on creeper where she's like making that scene where instead of them just kind of flirting with each other, that he takes her back to his room and then they're like making out and he's, I don't know, about to like tell her she loves her. I thought that was just like a really weird, creepy thing to do. Like she should just have said like, oh, Spock, you think Spock is the funniest person on the ship or something like that. No, what? yeah. Instead, yeah, what she it, did is she rewrote the Christmas party in, in his mind of what actually happened. It felt which, very assaulty. I did not like that either. Yeah, it was weird and gross. But at least it's a woman assaulting a man, right? It's a good it's a good twist on, on what we usually Ooh. see. So. Still weird and gross. Uh, here's another great quote from the IMDb page on this episode. This series was made early in the sexual revolution. At this time, the notion of an office Christmas party <laughs> was an excuse for drunken sex with a co-worker, and it was a very common fantasy, but something that rarely ever happened. Still, tens of thousands of office workers lived in hope. That's from the IMDb page for this episode. <laughs> some some old guy wrote that. So that's kind of like where the idea of hooking up at the the company Christmas party was kind of came from the 60s. Yeah, like you can, you don't have to be faithful. I mean, when you think about it now, not a lot of office Christmas parties involve booze unless you booze around with your colleagues regularly, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea of being in like a really straight laced professional environment and then being like, all right, Monday we're going to get drunk at work. <laughs> so she tries to change his memory of what happened at that Christmas party. And in that memory, he like falls in love with her and they, you know, they bang um, in his quarters. Uh, and is as that, she's as she's doing this memory, uh, that's when Doctor Adams walks in and like they kidnap her, and he's still under the influence of the transmitter thing. And Doctor Adams turns it up all the way, and he's like, "You love." He's like, "Yeah, you are in love with her." Which is like a weird thing to like fuck with him with, like right? Like why wouldn't he be like, "You don't want to investigate my facilities. You want to go back up to your ship and just leave here." But instead, he plays like barbie and ken with them you know 
Yeah. And, I, and then he lets him go back to his room after that. It didn't make any sense. That's what I think makes him such an evil jackass, though, is he just likes messing with people. Like, he, he did that just for his own... Yeah, he could have done anything. And he did that for his own amusement, so he could cause Kirk pain. But, like, what is his plan? Like, what is the point of this? Yeah, exactly. He's a pervert. <laughs> maybe that's all maybe that's why there are so many like penis references and stuff he it really is just a pervert i want to talk about my favorite part of this episode can we move past this scene it's it's the scene right after this one yeah yeah let's yeah. go for it okay so now kirk is programmed where he's like i love you dr noel like you're the only person for me i love you oh my gosh i if i if i if i'm not near you i'm in pain and she's like, oh, shit, I didn't want it to go this far. But she started it, by the way. But anyway. It would be funny if you said, Helen, did anyone ever tell you you look like a starship? <laughs> <laughs> so so he's like, I love you. I love you. And then he kind of comes back down, I guess. And he's like, so anyway, I need you to go into this duct this air conditioning duct find the power supply to this entire facility shut it down and then uh don't get electrocuted because have you had training on these things no okay just don't click don't push the wrong wire okay i love you bye and then he just like shoves her into the air conditioning vent and she has to go find this the power unit for the entire colony it's insane what if it was what if it was like six miles away underground I love that as well. It was basically like, all right, don't cut the wrong wire. And she's like, what's the right one? He's like, bye. And she's like, what's the right one? <laughs> I have a note, though. I do say, girl, the girl does know how to crawl through a vent, though. Oh, that, yeah. I feel, do you think that that's part of Starfleet Academy training is how well you, get, you can get through a Jeffries tube? He asked if she'd taken the training course yeah, on I think shutting so. these things down. But like... All she had to do was just read the sign that said, like, power supply for a base, and then flip the switch, and it would turn off. So I'm not sure what the training course would impl- would involve. Well. Yeah. I, it's just, like, know what warning means right. in, like, different languages. The first one, she tries to s- turn it off or, like, turn some switch, and she's like, oh, my girl arms aren't strong enough to turn the switch. And then while she's, because at the same time, Kirk is being in, and he's having another session with Dr. Adams and it's getting real bad. And she's at the same time trying to turn the, the power to the entire complex off. And at the same time, Spock and everyone's trying to get through to Kirk. Um, so it's kind of exciting. Uh, and then she, we have our one death in this episode. It's not Kirk's body count though. No, we can't give that to Kirk. She uh, shoves a, like an employee into the electrical wires and fries him but she doesn't really fry him because the camera she she kicked him into it yeah she kicks him into it but did you see like the makeup that they put on him after he had been toasted i mean i saw he was kind of singed but i wasn't paying too much attention no it was like ash wednesday level of of, of singe it was just like a little little dot on his face it was a catholic death <laughs> uh i had cool murder I, I really enjoyed that. It just shows you, if you uh, mess with the cult leader, you're going to get the electrifying death. Wait, is Kirk the cult leader? No. the. I mean, he was just an employee, though. He was like, like, go find someone who's down in a place they shouldn't be. Aren't all the employees prisoners? I, that's kind of the, the impression I got. He was probably a child molester, so he deserved <laughs> it. Can you just say that about every extra that dies from here on out, Clint? (laughs) 
I mean, he was a prisoner, so of course. <laughs> just going back on my, we should treat prisoners as humans. <laughs> You're just becoming more American. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did have to say there was. I wrote down a really terrible joke, but I can't live with myself if I let it go by without saying it. And so when the dial is all the way to eleven, it like empties your mind of of everything. And Kirk was like. It was such agony to be empty. <laughs> like, he's all PTSD. And uh, I wrote, IDK, Trump supporters seem fine. Guffaw, guffaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Getting political on set podcast is done. Hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah. I mean, and two, I think the whole thing is a bit anticlimactic. Because, like, the power goes off. Kirk gets free. He, like, tussles with some people. There's some more karate chopping, which is always great. And then, like, Dr. Adams gets in in the way of the beam or something like that. And everyone, you know, runs off. And he's just alone in the beam of the neural neuralizer. You did it. And then he just dies of, like, loneliness, right? I mean, that's just the <laughs> thing is he was just so lonely and, and so empty that he just died. Yeah. It, it, again, I think maybe the issue is that they think of some cool plot and then they just fill it in with karate chops, which is fine. But they need to figure out what the emotional conflict is. And maybe that's what's missing because, like, yeah, what what are we supposed to get out of this? I don't care about any of it. Yeah, because the ending, the ending message is just like, okay, people need other people to live, right? And if you're just like totally cut off or like, don't, I don't know. I can't even really think of the the end. It was, it was so weird. This like, oh, he died of loneliness. And if you were in there, you'd understand. And then yeah. Helen's like, I understand. Yeah, it was really, <laughs> it was really weird. And like at the end of the episode, Kirk's back on the bridge and he's like all sad. And then he gives everybody like a knowing smirk. Like, why was he sad? like i don't i don't know it was it was so it was so weird i think that the ending like the lesson was the same as where the red fern grows though like you can't be by yourself it'll just is that the right book old yeller wait the one yeah, where the and dog one dies die? because the other one dies or do they both get injured i come back to me <laughs> i think one dies think... because the other one dies that is yeah. so sad why did you bring that up i don't know i remember my my dad gave that book to me and he's like, this is a great one. And I was like eight years old and I was sobbing at the end and I was like, why would you give this to me? And he's like, why? What happens? And I was like, the dogs die horribly. And he was just like, oh, I don't remember that part. I was like, a bear That's like disembowels one. Yeah. Oh my God. It was terrible. There was a scene at the end where they were all crouched around Dr. Adams, who's dead in his killed by his own machine and like everyone from the bridge crews there and i wanted kirk to be like so does anyone want to before we wrap this up quick little uh mind spritz here got any demons you want me to get out of you <laughs> we've all killed somebody five second therapy <laughs> as long as i don't turn it up all the way and leave you you'll be fine anybody trying to quit smoking or something <laughs> so i guess this is like if if we're gonna get closer to the wrap up here, th- how criminal justice would work in the future? I don't know. Would you guys see like penal colonies existing um, as like the main way that you deal with it? Because I think that happens in TNG, where if there's like a a terrorist or you know whatever 
would you is that do you, do you see like that's how criminal justice works in the future like like there's no like prisons on every planet like if if you're one of the rare people who's actually a criminal like you go to like a penal colony because i know like in tng they'll also be like don't make me send you to the klingon prison camps i i think that i could see penal colonies existing in the future but instead of just essentially marooning people on islands they'd obviously make them manufacture things <laughs> like capitalism's not going away that easy <laughs> base license plates or do you think we'll go more in like the i the minority report thing where like people just they get put into like a coma until they serve out their entire sentence that makes no sense though the minority report way because it's not a punishment they just go back in and they come out and then i don't know everyone they knows dead or whatever like it's not like they learned anything well yeah no i think it's definitely gonna be like um you know prison at least in the u.s is trying to get people as close to slavery as you possibly can i do like this episode part of the message is that we have to be more humane to prisoners maybe but i think it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of this episode by the end, you kind of think Dr. Adams' way isn't the right way, you know, like to treat people humanely or... or yeah, or... that's... I just... I feel like they had a couple ideas and instead of picking one, they just tried to put them all together and it just muddied. Like, it's so hard for me to even... By the end, I'm like, is this about the criminal justice system? What about it? Like, I just... I just... I felt like it completely devolved into incoherence. It was like they were criticizing a method of criminal justice that doesn't exist. We do not agree mm. that you should uh, yeah. force people to change their minds about things through technology. But maybe this is like a metaphor for the, the criminal justice system. You go into prison and it hollows you out, you know, and you become this that's, other person. That's giving this way too much credit, I think. Because, <laughs> like, you could have done that, but, again, it just... It was so incoherent, it didn't make sense anymore. Because, like, theoretically, if they had kept the dial at two, then it, they, then it would have been, like, a humane therapy, right? And they was just like, you know, we, we do this and we talk through their problems and they learn not to be aggressive or whatever. But then, it, by the end, it was like the machine was totally evil and so you shouldn't do that. And, like, yeah, it was, it was just really weird. I don't... I wanted to like it more than I did, but like it started off being like, oh, they're going to another planet. Cool. And then it just tanked slowly. Well, and before we wrap up today, I have um, a trivia you? question for you guys. A fun trivia question. Uh oh. Okay. This is what I found out the other the other day and I thought it was interesting. So in the history of Star Trek, only one person has played themselves in the show. <gasps> Do you guys know who oh, it is? Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Oh, you, you saw I. <laughs> I just saw that one. It was so cool. It was really fun. Good job. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting. Only one person has ever played themselves, and it was Stephen Hawking. He was playing poker with Data, Sir Isaac Newton, and Einstein. Einstein. Yeah. On on the hollow deck. But I thought that was just a really interesting brain space. Is going onto a television show. And playing yourself as a holodeck character in a future where you're dead. And I just thought that was kind of trippy. I don't know That's if anyone cool. else thinks so. but One of my favorite, I have a trivia uh, question or trivia right back for you about Stephen Hawking. Because he had an electronic voice. And the electronic voice had an American accent. But he's British. Mm. And apparently the queen one time asked him if he would change it to a British accent. 
And he was like, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Way to, way to show the queen, Stephen Hawking. I know, right? Clint, what, what do I win? Um, I will rip out your vocal cords and I'll give you the Stephen Hawking voice <laughs> translator. How does that sound? Oh, you said you were going to do that for me. That sounds awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll rip out everyone's vocal cords. Robot voices for everyone. Thank you, Clint. <laughs> well, on that note, until we see you again, keep on trekking.